Oh, good morning. 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 There you go. There's some pep in that one. Uh, as Randy mentioned in our call to worship, we're going to be continuing through our series in Ephesians. We're going to be in Ephesians 5, starting in verses 15 through 21. So while you turn there in your Bibles, uh, I'd like to begin our time with prayer. Lord, you are good. Father, we come before you, uh, a people who are hungry to hear your word because we know that you have saved us. Lord, um, reveal to us your will for our lives today. Convict us through your, the power of your spirit where we need to be convicted and uh, encourage us when we need to be encouraged and exhort us where we need to be exhorted. Lord, we praise you for the opportunity to read and hear your word. We pray all this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Well, <clears throat> let me begin by reading our text. Ephesians 5, 15 through 21. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is God's word. Uh, imagine for me, uh, with me for a moment uh, that the world went dark. You probably don't have to stretch your imagination too far considering the day that we woke up to today. Uh, but the sun stops shining, the lights go out, there is nothing to expose or illuminate this world. That's the spiritual imagery that the Apostle Paul ended our text with last week. That you and I are born as children of darkness in a dark world. Uh, but now we are beloved children and there is light. And it's not just, according to the Apostle Paul, that there is light, but it's that you and I, Christians, are the light. And the mission is made clear, that we serve and we walk our Christian lives to expose the darkness as the light and to proclaim the source of the light in Jesus Christ. And in other words, as we enter into our text today, in other words, the Christian life, walking with Jesus, should reflect Jesus to a broken, sinful, dark world. The Christian life should reflect Jesus Christ to a dark world. And since that's the argument Paul is making as we jump into our text today, uh, he's giving us three commands in our text to help us be that child of the light, to help us live as people of the light and reflect him and expose spiritual darkness. And so if you are a note taker, those three commands are going to serve for us as our, as our outline, and we'll walk through them. Uh, those three commands are a command about the walk, command about the walk, second command is a command about the will, and the third command is a command to be filled. So the walk, the will, be filled. So we'll begin point one, the walk. Look carefully with me to uh, uh, verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. 
Our text today begins with a simple command. Look carefully how you walk. Pay attention to your Christian life. Pay attention to how you walk with Jesus. And this is the natural expectation of Paul's argument. I think it's, uh, it's not surprising to, for him to say, you're supposed to be children of the light, so therefore pay attention to make sure your life actually reflects that. Uh, while the logic, I think, is easy, uh, the command, in many instances, is hard to obey. And I think when we look closely at verse 15, it reveals to us all the ways that we can fall short of that. Specifically, the call, the command for our Christian walk has two conditions. The first condition, if you look with me, is that it is we are to pay careful attention. Look carefully is what Paul says. There's something emphatic about that. He wants us to have an extra dose of intentionality, of precision, paying close attention to how we walk. In other words, uh, we cannot become complacent as people who love and worship Jesus. But oftentimes, I think that's our temptation. Are we, are we good enough? Right? You know, I'm not the holiest guy. I don't know the most about the Bible. Uh, but I'm, pr- I'm pretty happy where I'm at, feeling pretty good about where things are. And you lack that urgency to grow, urgency to pursue Jesus, ur- urgency to worship Jesus. Uh, if, you think, if you think about our sermon last week, maybe you're here, you're a young man or woman last week, and you heard Paul's sermon on sexual immorality, you actually felt pretty good about yourself. Because as Paul's preaching, uh, you feel like you're actually checking some of the boxes. Yeah, you know, I have an accountability partner. Feeling pretty good about myself now. Or I've moved my computer from this room to that room to help me keep my eyes off of inappropriate material. And then you stop being careful. And so while... Now your Christian gauge is what you look at on the computer or how you talk to your accountability partner. Meanwhile, uh, the way you look at someone in the gym just a little too long starts to infect your heart. Or you watch that TV show where the content is maybe a little uncomfortable, but it's part of the story, and you're okay with that. That's not the careful life Paul is calling us to. Or maybe for you it's anger. You feel like the devil grips your heart through your anger uh, but you haven't punched a hole in any walls recently. It's, praise God. Let me say that. Praise God. You don't want to be doing that. Uh, but you're not careful with what you say to your wife about your wife when you're talking to your friends. Or you're, you're not careful how you talk about your children. You're not careful. You're certainly not careful how you talk about politicians. Right? Anger has consumed you. That's not a careful life. Paul's calling us to a Christian walk that is careful. That is intentional. And we have to be uh, gauging ourselves with that every day. Because sin, every day, is trying to find a way in. Are we careful to make sure that it doesn't? Because we're not given the luxury of complacency. Sin does not kick back and say, that person's good enough, I'm not going to tempt that person anymore. That's not how it works. That's Paul's warning. Walk carefully. Uh, As an illustration, I'd say, consider uh, a bomb squad. And not just any bomb squad, but consider the best, most experienced bomb squad, the Avengers of the bomb squad, the bomb squad you're calling in when it matters more than it's ever mattered. Well, they've defused one bomb, they've defused 100 bombs, they've defused 1,000 bombs. They never show up 
and decide, you know, I'm going to do this one with my eyes closed. Watch this trick I'm going to do. I'm going to juggle these bombs, and then I'm going to cut them while they're in midair, cut these wires. No matter how many bombs a bomb squad has diffused, they come to the next one very carefully. Because they know to themselves, is the risk worth it to be reckless, to be arrogant? Of course not. So is the Christian life, whether you've been a Christian for a day or a hundred days or a thousand days. Every day is a careful day. Asking yourself, where am I too close to the darkness? Where is sin trying to find a way in? We must be careful and intentional with our Christian lives, and we must be wise. That's Paul's second condition. We're to look carefully at the way we walk not as unwise, but as wise. Live wisely. Maybe feels a little ethereal, a little vague, hard to grasp, hard to define, hard to apply. Um, but Paul, I think, wants to, us to approach this with an extra dose of simplicity. This is not some tricky, cryptic wisdom that we have to understand. The wisdom is simple. If you are a child of the light then you should live wisely. The dark person doesn't even, the person living in darkness doesn't even know where they're walking, what they're bumping into, how they're failing, tripping, falling, sinning. But the child of the light, the Christian, knows that they're supposed to walk differently, that there's a path that they can see through the work of Jesus, and they ought to follow it. And because they know in wisdom that that path exists, uh, Paul's argument continues, they make the most use of their time. They make the best use of their time. Look with me to verse 16. Ephesians 5 says, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. This present world that you and I live in is ruled by darkness. It is consumed by sin and brokenness and the default setting is evil. That's always been true. It's easy for us to look at 2022 and say, oh man, we live in an evil time. Sin has corrupted all time. And it would be wise for God's people to recognize that. It would be unwise for us to assume that the day is neutral in any way. That it's a blank slate and we can pick this way or pick that way and one way is good and one way is bad. It, it, it skews towards evil and therefore we are to make the best use of our time. Consider with me what the uh, command is not. The days are evil, therefore run, hide, fear, ignore. That's not Paul's exhortation. Paul's exhortation is, the days are evil, so make the best use of your time. Uh, a, a simple call to efficiency to start. Uh, watch less TV, play less video games, go to sleep earlier so you don't get tired halfway through the sermon. Uh, but I think we're, there's something more at play, something more that Paul wants us to see and understand about the lives that we live. That time, our days, are something that we must capture. We must buy them back from brokenness and wickedness. We, we must redeem the days and redeem the time, snatch them out of the hands. And once we have redeemed the time, or in order to redeem the time, 
we must push them towards the things that are pleasing to the Lord. Now, CBC is a busy church filled with busy people. There's nothing sinful about that. There's an adage that good people have full lives. So you're busy, be encouraged. I'm not coming after you. Uh, But let's ask ourselves, what are we willing to redeem time for? What are we willing to make time for? And when we make time, how do we use it? Is there always an extra hour for work, for emails, but never an extra hour for the kids, for the family, for the church, to read your Bible? Always an extra hour for your nap or an extra hour to hit snooze, but never, never an extra hour for work, maybe. The time you do redeem, the time you do consider valuable, do you consider it valuable because of the things it does for you? how you can build your own kingdom? Or do you recognize that in order to redeem the time truly, it is for God's kingdom? Because Paul's reminding us, maybe more than anything, that it's not our time to begin with. Every day you have and every breath you take is given to you by God for the glory of God. And it ought to be used and lived as such. And we have to walk as that is true reflecting his love, advancing his kingdom. And so for all the applications I could give about that, I want to just ask you one, or to consider one thing. Making the best use of our time. How do we make the best use of our time in the way we proclaim the gospel and share the gospel to other people? First off, do we ever do that? Right? The days are evil. No non-believer, your coworker, your friend, your kid, they do not wake up one day and coast into conversion. The day does not bring them there. Nothing in this world will guide them there. So is there something better you could do with your time, truly, than share the gospel? Maybe an unfair question, blatant, but worth asking. And I I bring it up because I think the irony is that time is always our excuse as evangelists. We think about sharing the gospel with someone and our excuses flow like this. You know, I I haven't been a Christian for enough time. Or I, I need more time to know more about God before I can share the gospel with somebody. The kicker, the one we've all said, nobody's innocent, no hands are clean, is, you know, I was talking with my coworker and... I thought maybe, but the timing just didn't feel right. Of course the timing didn't feel right. The days are evil. Everything is skewing you the other way. Everything is skewing your friend the other way. Sin is powerfully moving to destroy days for the kingdom of God. And Christians are called to redeem that for the glory of God. And so I want to just say to you, you know, if, if that door in your friend's heart, in your kid's heart, in your coworker's heart, is open just the slightest. The devil's trying to close it, slam it back in your face. And my exhortation to you is, don't let that happen. Buy it back, snatch it out, share the gospel, because you know that God can save anyone, anywhere, under any circumstances. You don't need the right time, because you have the right God. Let's not be afraid of that. Let's make the best use of our time in that respect. And as, as Paul's argument progresses, Uh, we get now to the second command. We had the first command in verse 15 about the walk. Commanded to walk carefully, walk wisely. 
and we get to the second, the second command about the will. Look to verse 17. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Therefore, what's the therefore, therefore? That's what I say at youth group. Uh, therefore, right? walk carefully, walk wisely, make the best use of your time. The days are evil. Therefore, don't be made a fool, but understand the will of the Lord. Simply put, to know everything we just talked about in 15 and 16 and to live unchanged is folly. If you know these things are true and you don't order your life around them, sin is making you a fool. And what's the solution for that? To understand the will of the Lord. And in this context, understand the will of the Lord. He's not talking about which boy you should date, which job you should take, where you should go on vacation, what's the Lord's will for those things. Uh, That's not what's in view here. What's in view here is the work and life and purpose of Christ. Understand what Christ did on the cross for you. Understand who he is and understand how he's called you to walk. That is the Lord's will for you. You are commanded and called by Paul in this verse to understand that. And so, church, understand it every day. And understand it by being in his word, being reminded of it every day. Seeing the way Christ is moving from A to Z in your Bible to save you, to save sinners. Pray alongside it. Talk with other people about it. Let them speak the truth of the Lord's will into your heart. Help you understand it. For the man, again, the man who knows what is true, who knows what it means to be a child of darkness and a child of light, and yet chooses uh, to, do some, to do nothing, has truly been made a fool, according to Paul. And with that, Paul continues his argument, his flow, with our third and final command of the day. Look with me to verse 18. To be filled... So the walk, the will, be filled. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. The moment you've all been waiting for. One necessary condition of what Paul is saying is that this is a life. This is not a checklist of things to know, but this has ramifications for how we live. So as we read Ephesians 5, what we see is this call to walk wisely, to understand the will of the Lord. These are broad. They, they, they feel big, big commands. And then he just slaps, don't get drunk, right in the middle of them. It can feel out of place if we read it like that. But what Paul's reminding us is that uh, you have a way to live. And this actually matters for what you do, how you act, in the way that you live. So he says, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. Well, the drunk person, how do they live? They lack understanding. They lack reason. They lack control. To get drunk is debauchery, says Paul. To get drunk, debaucherous, disordering your life, allowing something else to have power over you, allowing something else to have control over you. He pulls this prohibition in, as he commands us to be filled with the Spirit, to remind us uh, that we are to live as people of of the light, 
and that to get drunk, to be debaucherous, to live this uncontrolled lifestyle is to be in the darkness. It's a sin to get drunk, according to Paul, and it should be reserved for those who live in darkness. And yet we see in Psalm 104, wine makes glad the heart of man. We see Jesus turn water into wine. And so I want to make a distinction because I think Scripture is making a distinction clearly that uh, there is a difference between consuming alcohol and getting drunk, according to Paul. Difference between consuming alcohol and getting drunk. But if that distinction is made, which I believe Scripture clearly makes it, then the million-dollar question becomes, how are, the Christians supposed, how are Christians supposed to approach getting, drinking? How are they supposed to approach, judge, consider, think through, be careful with alcohol? I think the applications could, could be really limitless, and we could talk a long time just on this verse, but I want to start by saying just because that distinction exists doesn't give everyone the green light to consume alcohol. There are some of you in this room who should never touch it again in your entire life. Because what is the rubric? What is the framework? Debauchery. Losing control. Giving something else power over you. There are, there are some of you in this room who when you're in the presence of one drink, you've lost that control. That, that alcohol has power over you. And because of that, you, you should not point to this verse and say, as long as I have one, I'll be okay. No, you should flee. You should refrain forever. That sin needs to be killed, not fed needs to be mortified. It would be a misuse of scripture uh, to propel yourself towards something that has power over you through a technicality like that. And secondly, this prohibition uh, is not about a pattern of behavior. Paul commands us not to get drunk. He does not say if you are consistently drunk, if you are a drunkard, if you're very drunk, there's no conditions here. To get drunk once is to be debaucherous and sinful once. This, I believe, is the way so many of us are tempted to abuse alcohol. Because moderation, a self-controlled life, becomes a bargaining chip for so many of us. Well, we're at a wedding. You know, it's an open bar, it's free, I'm not gonna go broke. We're at a wedding, it's a celebration. I can drink more than I usually would. We're starting to bargain with debauchery. Or, you know, I'm at home, the kids are in bed, I don't have to work in the morning, it doesn't really matter, I can sleep in, you know, it's just, again, you're bargaining. You're trading moderation, justifying it in your own head. Uh, that's not the posture of this text. This text is commanding us to refrain from drunkenness, no matter what the circumstances are. Uh, and again, we need to remember <clears throat> that the, the, the reasoning, what we're guilty of, according to Paul, is debauchery. What is debauchery, right? What are we guilty of? This pursuit of something so excessively that we lose control, that it has power over us. It compromises our integrity. It compromises our walk with the Lord. And because that's the, what we're guilty of, that's the framework that Paul uses, we could really step out of talking about alcohol and apply this to a lot of things in our lives that we are supposed to avoid an excess, a pursuit of something that has power over us in all areas. Uh, but to this aim, I want to make one final point. Uh, in 2022, the options are a lot more than wine. 
And not just what's on the shelf at Fry's, but our society is more and more accepting and comfortable with over-medicating and with marijuana. I think this verse is our guide. This verse is our shepherd and it protects us in those moments. Because when <clears throat> smoking weed is practically legal everywhere, where it's illegal, it's very loosely enforced at this point in America, you probably drove by a dispensary on your way to church, a lot of you. And that's only going to continue. That's only going to further. But what is the warning? This is a warning about debauchery. It's, it's common, it's going to become common for your coworkers to come up to you and ask you to go get a smoke after work instead of a drink. You're going to go to restaurants and there's going to be marijuana to pair with your steak dinner. That's where we're going. That's where we're going. You laugh. And when we get there, there'll be something else that we can talk about and, and you know, guess what's coming next. Uh, but this verse is our guide because it's reminding us it's not about the substance, it's about the result. It's not about the substance, it's about what happens. We should not allow ourselves to have our minds altered by something, for us to lose control because we've done something. And that's because we've already given control to someone else. We should not allow things like alcohol to have control over our minds control over the way we act because we have given ourselves to the Holy Spirit. He has control over us through the work of Jesus. That's the, the positive negative that Paul's saying in verse 18. Don't get drunk with wine, that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And then he continues, giving the Ephesians, and therefore he gives us, uh, what it actually looks like to be filled with the Spirit. He gives us three examples. Don't get drunk with wine. Be filled with the Spirit. And if you are filled with the Spirit, since you are filled with the Spirit, Christian, since you are a child of light, your life should reflect these three things. The first one, uh, being filled with the Spirit affects your speech. It affects the way you talk with one another. Look with me to verse 19. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in this way. God's people communicate. It's an introvert's worst nightmare, this application. But we do. We communicate with one another and we communicate in a unique way. That doesn't mean we're we need to always sing. We're not in a musical, uh, just because he uses psalms and hymns there. Uh, but the way that you and I speak with each other should not reflect uh, the, the life of people in the dark. It should reflect being a child of light. It should reflect Jesus, and it should be motivated by our hearts for the Lord, our love for the Lord. It makes sense because our words can be very powerful, and they can be a lot of different things. We've all learned this lesson the hard way. Most of us learned it on the playground in kindergarten, that words can hurt, right? Your words, can, they can bite and sting. They can burn like acid. And they can make you laugh and cry. They can heal. They can proclaim Jesus. They can be a lot of things. But for the Christian, they should be something specific. And I want to point back to the beginning of verse 19 as I continue. 
that we are to address one another. Paul is pointing to how the the spirit-filled life impacts the way you and I talk to each other, that we as a church talk to one another. The love of Christ in your heart should compel you to be different in the way that you speak, in the way that you live, in the way that you walk. And how does being filled with the Spirit transform our words to be like that, to grow in this way? Through singing to Jesus, according to Paul. A a bold, joyful love and worship of your Savior alongside your brothers and sisters. There's probably not a time where you're more united to your church than when you are here singing the same words to the same song at the same time. Worshiping God together is the way that our words become, uh, the way that our words are, are grown to reflect the love of Jesus. Right? We sing together more we sing to Jesus more. And through doing that, we are defanged. You cannot stand next to someone here, sing a four-song set, sing Come Thou Fount, and then when church is over, bite them like a viper with the things you say. You can't do it. I, and I'm not challenging you to try, but you can't do it. I'll just trust me. Okay? That's the, that posture of worship and unity that, that songs give us should be evident and should ruminate in the way we always talk to one another. Right? They should be that friendly arm that's reaching across your friend's shoulder, reminding you of God's comfort. Your hand reaching down to pull someone up when they're down. The power, your words have power to be that. It should reflect a bowed head, humility, respect for the people in this room with all the words that you use. The reality is the the melodies that we make together are the remedies for so much of the disunity that we have. So many of the things that pull us apart are healed and brought together and proclaim the truth of the gospel when we sing together. And so church, sing. You're going to have your chance to fulfill this application in 15 minutes, probably sooner than that. Sing and sing together and sing often if you want to live the spirit-filled life. The second thing Paul says is that spirit-filled living is thankful living. Spirit-filled living is thankful living. Look at verse 20 with me. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you want to be filled with the Spirit, if you are filled with the Spirit, I should say, you are a thankful person. We're not thankful people largely in our nature, in our flesh, in our sin. But, I mean, when we read this verse, always and for everything, that feels insurmountable. And I think we reflected ourselves, can we be thankful for always and for everything for one day? All the parents are nudging their kids. Listen, Listen to what's saying. He's saying be thankful. It's really, really hard. But Paul is expressing something that's true about our relationship with the Lord. 
Our thankfulness is unconditional, always and for everything. It's directed to God in the name of Jesus. That's because primarily, or first and foremost, we don't even deserve the chance to say thank you. You have sin. You have rebelled against the God who created you. You deserve judgment. You don't deserve to stand in his presence. But you can. You can thank God. We, we shudder at this application, and I, I make the joke, can you even do this for a day? Well, we really don't even deserve the chance to try at all. But since God allows us this chance, God allows us to thank him, to enter into his presence through the work of Jesus on the cross, our advocate at the right hand, we can pray in his name. There's no season and no reason why we should not be thankful to the Lord. This is radically different from how a non-believer lives. A non-believer can be grateful, can be thankful for the good things they have in life, you know, say what they, they're thankful for around Thanksgiving. Uh, but when things are broken, when things are falling apart, when they're tripping and fumbling and stumbling and sinning in the darkness, there's nothing to be thankful for. But for the Christian, when the world is falling apart around you, it's only a further reminder of how good God is and how great his love for you is. And so in any circumstance, the Christian has the privilege of praising the Lord, thanking the Lord for who he is and what he's done. I think we, we understand thankfulness to some degree. Uh, we see it in our lives a lot. Uh, if you're falling behind on a deadline at work and your coworker helps you, and you have this kind of extra dose of gratitude, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. You want to you want to buy something on Amazon and your spouse says it's okay, it's not in the budget. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. I'm so grateful. And yet we, we have such a hard time being grateful and thankful to the Lord, giving thanks when things get hard. But how much more should that be our posture? We should be unthink, like unshakably thankful before the Father. Every reason, every season. And finally, the Spirit-filled life is a life of submission. The Spirit-filled life is a life of submission. So Paul's commanding us to be filled with the Spirit, giving thanks to God, singing songs and praises to God, submitting to one another. The reality is God has divinely orchestrated that each and every one of us are in ordered relationships. Not in terms of worth, of course, that's not what's in view here, but that we are called to submit to one another in the sense that each one of us has a person that God has placed above us in some capacity. And each one of us has a person that God has given us authority over in some capacity. You have the spirit-filled command to honor those relationships. Consider how much you seek to avoid submission how much you're trying to squeeze out from under submission like it's an oppressive, painful, torturous thing. How much you're trying to run away from, from the expectations your boss has you, on you. 
or even with God. How much you're trying to squeeze out from what God has commanded you to do. Squeeze out from under and run. How little your life is rendered around loving, service, kind, submission. Are your, are your endeavors dedicated to even serving the people in this room? And submitting to them when they, when they need something. And in the same way, how much of your God-ordained authority is then tainted and manipulated to selfish ends? God has not given any one of us authority over any other person so that we can build our own kingdom, leverage things for our own desires, and point to this verse and say, you are supposed to submit to me. Therefore, do whatever I say. That is not how God has called us to live in the spirit-filled life. In the, in the relationships where you should submit and in the relationships where you have authority, that is a God-given privilege through the grace of Christ. And it must be uh, moderated by that temperament, that posture of grace and that attitude of service and love for the other person. And all of these things are true and rooted in reverence for Christ. In fact, all of the spirit-filled life is centered around Jesus Christ. Who are you supposed to sing songs to? Your Lord, Jesus. Who are you supposed to give thanks in the name of? Your Lord, Jesus. Why should you submit? Out of reverence, out of fear, love for Christ. The Christ who walked this earth in perfection. The sinless Savior making the best use of all time, understanding the will of God perfectly. Walking the walk that we're commanded to walk as a child of light perfectly and then submitting. Submitting and subjecting himself to the point of death. Death on a cross for you. A person who would not submit to the will of the Lord a person who rebelled against the will of the Lord. He submits for you anyway. He subjects himself for your sin anyway and redeems it, redeems you so that you can stand before the presence of the Father, so that you can be a child of light, so that your debt is paid. When we consider the commands of today, let us consider that there is no redemption of the time without Christ. There is no walk to walk without the walk that Christ walked to the cross and then out of the grave. So let us be fathers and mothers. Let's be husbands and wives, children, employees. Let us be a church in which we are proclaiming the name of our king. That we are remembering that the spirit-filled life is something that is compelled out of our love for the Savior who died for us, that we cling to him and we cling together, arm in arm, walking the Spirit-filled life with one another, walking the walk that he has called us to until that day in which we will come before him and we will bow before him as our king for all eternity. Let's pray together. Lord, you are good. Lord, I pray through the power of your spirit that 
you give us wisdom to walk a careful and wise, godly life as a child of light. Lord, I pray that through your spirit, uh, we can come together always in unity, praising you, worshiping you, letting that posture saturate us every day. Lord, I pray as we go out this week that we are people who are walking the walk, that we know the days are evil and need to be redeemed, and that we know we have a redeemer in Christ. We thank you for that. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.